and to, I don't know whether it's Terry Austin. I'll, I'll get into this. In the yeah, we'll get it. Yeah, we should probably. Okay. All right, I'm ready. You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where we believe that not everybody should wank chung tonight. And welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name is Sean Ingle, and I'm here to give you coverage of the Green Lantern comic books from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. This time again, we're going to be looking at both of the characters. Guy Gardner has a, well, a slight, a slight appearance in uh, Green Lantern Quarterly number one which is going to be covering a vast variety of the uh, Green Lantern Corps, some of whom you would really enjoy knowing about, and some of whom, well, just had one-off stories in there. Plus, we're also going to be covering Green Lantern number 88, where Kyle makes his peace with Alex, finally, again, takes Donna to L.A., meets up with some creepy uh, artificial intelligence in Star Labs, and finds out and we we find out that his mom is a is a hot ginger so it's all interesting and to come along with me on this uh fun time story time thing need to script these out better is my good friend mr thomas dj how's it going you today thomas? are wicked evil and mean i'm the nastiest creep that you ever did see <laughs> come on come on put up a fight i'll pound your butt with green lantern's light yeah <laughs> Ah, Jack T. Chance. You know, I I will have good things to say about this character. This is this is going to be a fun episode because this is one of my early experiences with. Well, this is like the first experience with Jack T. Chance. This is where he came into being. This is his origin story, yeah. And this is just some fun stuff. So hopefully, folks, you will be in for a good time. But before we get to the coverage of Green Lantern Quarterly and Green Lantern, I am obliged to play some promos for a few podcasts that I would love for you guys to go out and listen to. And as soon as we get back from that, we will get we will get started into our coverage of Green Lantern number 88.
Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hardworking people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds of this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of thought. This looks like a job for Superman. Let's hear it for Captain America! It's the Dying Man! It's the Rocketeer! Gentlemen, you're up. <laughs> Comics Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.com. Throughout its history, people have found this place disquieting. Strange and unexplained phenomena run rampant, so much so that it's been called the city that lives by night. And the city that lives by night needs a darker form of protector. Black Talon. Please don't kill me! You tell them all, Nocturne is the Talon's hunting ground. Your kind had best look elsewhere for prey. Nightbreaker. What was this? Some sort of joke? No! Gloria... This sounds crazy, I know, but she did shoot me. Something happened. I'm still not sure what, but people don't recognize unless I truly concentrate on their wanting to see me. It's like I'm invisible. Fairy man. The ghosts you refer to have done more for me than you two have. They've given me my sight back. <laughs> They've given me better than my sight back. Dreamcatcher. Witches, warlocks, mages, magicians, shamans, call us what you like, it's all the same. We've helped when we can, eluded those too ignorant to understand that magic isn't evil. And it's made us sensitive to others who have magic running in their veins. A quartet of heroes standing together must face a new menace. This can be painless, you know. You ain't putting the front on me, Slag. Just take your shot, yeah? I was hoping you'd say that. Who is going to use the roughest elements of the city. You that rose red bitch? That's right. I'm not even mad at you for adding the bitch part. Because I am. And I know you guys are some of the nastiest, toughest, roughest, meanest bastards in this town. Am I right? Yeah! yeah! Good. Because I have need of you. To send this city. Come on! To end tonight. Down new roads to hell. New Roads to Hell, the first Shadow Legion adventure by Thomas DJ. A new novel coming soon from Airship 27. For more information, including character sketches and behind-the-scenes information, visit the Nocturne Travel Agency at welcometonocturne.blogspot.com and airship27.com. And we are back. So, let's go ahead and take a look at Green Lantern number 88. It was cover dated July 1997 and released on May 7, 1997. That information, of course, comes from the ever-popular and ever-awesome Mike's World of Amazing... Not Mike's World of Amazing Comics, but Mike's World of DC Comics. You can find it at DC Indexes, and you can also find his uh, show at uh, 2TrueFreaks.com. Go check it out. The cover price was $1.75 US and $2.50 Canada. The title was Go Home Again. 
Writer was Ryan Mars, penciler Daryl Banks. Brand new full-time inker was Terry Austin, colorist Pamela Rambo, letterer Chris Eliopoulos, associate editor Eddie Buganza, and editor Kevin Dooley. Hovering above the California surf, Green Lantern Kyle Rayner tries to no avail to keep his ring construct motorcycle intact. As the newest Green Lantern makes an awkward landing, his super-hot girlfriend, Alex DeWitt, tries to get some snapshots for her job. Kyle says that the ring is the best thing that ever happened to him, and Alex takes a wee bit of, of offense to that. Kyle quickly recovers with a couple of cherub constructs and offers to take a picture of the two of them in a loving embrace. And it's that picture that Kyle is holding now, in front of the grave of Alex. He says that he's grown since she passed away, and that he's even found a new girlfriend in Donna Troy. However, the conversation is interrupted by the appearance of Alex's sister, Amy, who's here to repay her respects. Amy rebukes Kyle for not even showing up to Alex's funeral, but as Kyle tries to explain why he couldn't be there, Amy slaps him across the face and tells him never to come back. Wondering what's going on, Donna approaches Kyle to console him, and he asks for just a minute alone. Dropping to his knees, Kyle says that although he has moved on, he will never stop loving Alex, and he'll never forget her. And with farewells over with, Kyle rings up his costume and flies Donna off to the real reason for this West Coast trip, to visit with his mother. But with tension still tense with his parent, who wasn't supposedly a right-wing nutjob bent on laser-beaming the heck out of Washington, D.C., Kyle finds a reason to avoid the visitation. A fire at the local Star Labs. One of the scientists who managed to escape tells the Green Lantern that the fire started in the Artificial Intelligence Lab and that there are others still trapped inside. With Donna's blessing and as an excuse to belay meeting with his mom, Kyle flies into the burning building. Inside the lab, we see panicked scientists trying to get out. It seems impossible, but it looks like the hardware is actually trying to prevent the scientists from escaping. But before the smoke and flames can get to them, Green Lantern burns the wall and brings out the injured safely. Outside, Kyle questions the lead scientist as to how the fire started, and he replies that it was a mystery to all of them. Kyle offers to stay and help them investigate, but Donna realizes that he's stalling and drags him away to meet with his mother. Outside the house, Kyle questions whether this was a good idea at all, but Donna has enough dawdling as she approaches and knocks on the door. Worried about what is to come, Kyle girds himself as the door opens to reveal a jovial red-headed milf named Mora. After an awkward greeting in Gaelic, Kyle and Donna come in only to have more awkward, the more awkward request for Kyle to show his mother his green lantern uniform. Shocked, Kyle asks how she could have found out, and, well, it's not as uncomfortable as how Carol knew in the Green Lantern movie. Kyle rings up his costume and tells Mora that he's sorry that he kept this, this secret from her. He also says that he went looking for his father, which starts up a huge argument between mother and son. Frustrated, Kyle storms out of the house as an uncomfortable Donna looks on. A few minutes later, Donna comes outside and tells Kyle that things have cooled down and that he really needs to try and make things work out between them. But while Kyle is trying to make a connection with his estranged mother, the artificial intelligence at Star Labs is making some connections of its own, forming together random parts from around the lab to form... The Machine Messiah! Uh, okay. And that is Green Lantern number 88. <laughs> the Machine okay. Messiah... 
Christ. Okay. Thomas, hit me up with some notes for this. Okay. Do you want... First thing... Uh, um, is it just me or is Donna's whole purpose in this issue is to say, are you okay, Kyle? Mm-hmm. Are yeah. you okay? Donna was completely relegated to... Uh, just simple plot device in this. And Mm -hmm. I don't know whether this was indicative of what's going to happen, Donna, within the next couple of months, but yeah, she's been completely relegated from important uh, secondary character to just simple window dressing in the book. And I'm really not enjoying it, especially since Donna is Donna's supposed to be a major important player in Kyle's life. And we're not really getting much of anything from her than other Mm -hmm. than, you know, uh, consoling emotion towel, basically. Yeah, oddly, she ends up doing what she claimed she didn't want to do in the breakup issue. Mm-hmm. You know, being you know, being kind of like you know the mo- a secondary mother, which mm-hmm. is kind of now. This is one of the earlier issues that they where they where they started switching to a full computerized color palette. Okay, and I think it really shows because it looks kind of odd throughout yeah i can agree the 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 colors i didn't really but now going back and looking at them yeah the colors mm-hmm. look a little bit different than they have in the right. other book and i think also with terry austin who is a fabulous anchor coming onto the book mm-hmm. the uh, characters look a bit different i've noticed uh, a lot especially when you get uh, facial images of kyle yeah. His, they really accentuate his teeth. There's a lot of <laughs> I'm looking at toothy. page two now with this kind of like devil oh, yeah. grin. Yeah, <laughs> at the bottom of it, I was going to mention that the, the he, he looks like he's about ready to slice someone's heart out with a dagger. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's just Austin overdoing that, but yeah. Uh, the but you know what's interesting is that his, the Alex. In this issue, is shall we say a little bit more normal proportion than we've seen in past the depictions, mm-hmm. which you know I think is is actually an improvement from you know Kathy Ireland. That's true. Yeah, in in the earlier iterations of her, she did have a she did have a, a not really natural look. She looks a lot more natural here. She doesn't look as I guess hippie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah I think it may have just been that. Uh, Banks was getting the, you know, hadn't really gotten the character down yet, and now he has a better idea of how to draw her, which is unfortunate because he'll probably never be drawing her really again. ever again because she's been put to rest. Mm-hmm. I like on page three that we're getting, that, that we're seeing Kyle as he was, you know, when he first got the ring. Right. And uh, this is Kyle still as a jerk. This is Kyle still as an immature 20-something who's mm-hmm. just gotten a, a fabulous toy that he can do anything with, and he's he, he's reveling in it. And when we move to the next page, we see the marked difference in the character, that Kyle has grown up now, and he's he's accepting his responsibility as Green Lantern, and he's accepting his responsibility actually as a person, and coming back and saying, again, his final, final farewells to, uh, to Alex. Yeah, but what's he doing hanging out with Ronda Rousey? <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, look at the look at the freaking abs. <laughs> I mean, she's she's cut. I will give her that. Uh, and then and then on the next page, Nancy Pelosi shows up. <laughs> yes. 
or or it could be uh or it could be Hillary Clinton. I don't know. That pantsuit is just Oh my lord. That my is something like... right out of the 90s. But yeah, she you know uh, Amy uh Alex's sister, you know fortuitously shows up just at the time when uh Kyle and Alex's estranged boyfriend decides to show up. So kind of right. bad luck on Kyle's part, but you know, justifiably, I think she does have a reason to be kind of irked with Kyle since he since he wasn't there for the funeral. And, you know, he couldn't be there because at the time wasn't zero was hour going space, on. Wasn't yeah, it? he was. I thought I think he was in space dealing with uh, Hal on Oa or in that awkward thing where he had to be at the sort of space bar and the suicidal ex Green Lantern. I don't know. But yeah. And you can't just say, I'm sorry, I was, let's see, in space? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's an excuse that really doesn't go over too well most of the time. Uh, nor do we see the, the, the scene where where Donna just punt, drop kicks her into the next county. <laughs> that would have been nice. Uh, I, I do like the panel on page six, the top panel there, where it's all uh, just black and white. Yeah. It's, that's a nice sort of, it, it's a nice aesthetic panel. It's a nice... Uh, the, it's a nice change from the coloring to give it that sort of black and white, give it that sort yeah. of shadowed look. But uh, again, we've got more teeth here on this page. And, and Superboy shows up in panel three for some reason. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> there, there is a bit of, uh, I think it's the, I think it's the hair that maybe does yeah. it. But, although I'm also wondering if, if this is, you know, I mean, this is obviously Terry Austin's first time he's ink and Daryl Banks, and I'm mm-hmm. wondering if there is a slight bit of a disconnect at this point. There, there might have been. Uh, I know that, I know that Austin is a great inker and he's done tons mm-hmm. of stuff for a long time. But yeah, when you're getting in with your new artist for the first time, maybe there's a bit of, you know, give and take as to you know how the characters are supposed to look, and yeah, it does look a little off, but. Moving on to page seven again, we get more again with the teeth. Just <laughs> Kyle, this. <laughs> Maybe it's like, what is the name of that guy? The, the the guy who does the I believe in you. Oh Christ! The motivational speaker Tony, what's his name? Oh Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins. Oh good lord! Yes, it does kind of look <laughs> like him. I will admit, at least Kyle is polite enough to carry Donna in sort of a fireman's cradle yeah. rather than just ring her up in a bubble, which is nice, because that's what Hal would do. Although, correct me if I'm wrong. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm the Teen Titans expert on this call. I mean, Donna can fly, you know. <laughs> now, does Donna still have her Wonder Girl powers or is she just, you know, not allowed to use them? And is that I, what I'm I... assuming? No, I think she's she still has all her powers. I don't think she ever lost them. Okay, well, maybe it's just Kyle being a gentleman, and maybe it's just him wanting to put his hand on her butt. That could be it as well. What I do not, What I want to know is what is up with all the weird random streaks of gray uh, in in Donna's hair. In Donna's hair. I don't know. Maybe I mean, there's that line here. where he says, "Oh, she's a little bit older than me." I'm like, "Yeah, well, not that older." Okay. Yeah. Maybe a couple of years, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just the, like what you said with the digital coloring. They're trying yeah. to enhance the coloring a bit by getting these weird kind of shadings in. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it works for like the mask, uh, like for Kyle's mask, because yeah. that looks good. But sometimes the rest of the shading just looks good. Because I'm looking here on, if you're over on page nine, 
mm-hmm. that bottom panel of uh, Donna. Yeah. She looks like she's she looks like she's in her 50s or 60s with her hair. I mean, the top of it is all just sort of light gray. And it could be them just trying to depict the lighting on her. But, yeah, it looks kind of off. Although there's that one, there's this one panel on, on page eight where we're still looking at the teeth. And there's the second panel mm-hmm. where he, it looks like he's doing a, a patented Derek Ferguson hottie growl. <laughs> I was going to say it's either that or it's the sort of Billy Idol, uh, you know, <laughs> Rebel yell thing with the that's right down our sweat <laughs> sweat sweat sweat. Uh, I I want to know on page nine that second panel when did Doctor Giggles come into the book? <laughs> you know I expect he's going to eventually come in there and you know perform creepy surgery. Was, was yes. that was Larry Drake, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yes, oh, it was. Oh God, that was a one of the few films done by Dark Horse Pictures. Really? In the 90s. I, and now that now that you mentioned that, I do remember that being... Uh, didn't Dark Horse put out the comic? Yes. Dark okay. Horse Pictures was created by Dark Horse in association with one of the major studios to specifically create properties that could be adapted. And I think they only did like two or three films before they went under. Mm-hmm. Another one was The Barbed Wire. Oh yes, feature film—the one where they had the gall to remake Casablanca with Pamela Anderson uh, and her and her overly accentuated silicone-filled boobs. Yes, uh, yeah, I remember that movie, and I, I I agree. I do like it much better when it was called Casablanca and <laughs> was actually well scripted and well acted. But yeah, I guess if you want to watch Pamela Anderson swing around on a you know swing you know topless, then oh, there you go. You- Okay, except for the topless part, that's what VIP was for at that yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and that was at least funny. Yes, uh, I can't say that. Uh, can't say as much of that for uh, barbed wire. That barbed wire. <laughs> um, Just one of the guys, home to your full barbed wire coverage. <laughs> <laughs> Just cover that with a pound of, you know, a mound of dirt and bury it all. Get rid of that. Um. I really don't have much to say on that. Uh, I guess uh, on page 10, as the scientists are being smoked out by there, I guess we get the plot point set up for the uh, next issue that there's the artificial intelligence. Yes. It's like it's it's like our hardware's trying to kill us. Oh, no. What could possibly happening? Oh, it's a crappy it's a crappy sci-fi trope of a artificial intelligence coming alive and yeah. gathering up all the parts in the laboratory to kill someone there was page 11 yes page 11 so we're gonna call this firefighter green lantern for the the (laughs) toy line oh lord yes this would have been oh this would have been perfect for oh was it like total justice yes the total justice line this this would have been a total justice firefighter Green Lantern costume. The only the only uh, toy line where we got a parallax figure. Remember? Yes, I do. Now that you mentioned that. <laughs> now the Kyle Rayner uh, total justice figure was actually yeah. kind of cool if I remember that. But if I remember correctly, it was the regular characters plus they had armor. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does Superman need with armor? <laughs> well, what does Superman need with the super? The, the super cycle or what the well the, the super punching, cycle is there the, the punching to, the one with the punching arms yeah the super oh, cycle he, he created so that he could operate with his superman powers 
in area, you know, and be protected by kryptonite. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I agree. That was, that yeah. was me just being snarky, but yeah, the supermobile, that's what I'm thinking. That was it, yeah. yeah. But, uh, fire, firefighter Kyle. Yeah. yeah. Any way you can sell toys. Yeah. What is up with Donna on page 12? You see here. The first, the, the, the top panel. I don't. I, I think know. she's digressed down her own timeline. Yeah, she's suddenly shrunk, or maybe that's just, she's supposed to be right beside Kyle. Yeah, she's. I, I always thought of her being, you know, at least if not as tall as him, mm-hmm. a little bit taller. But yeah, she's the. She's just been drawn a bit smaller here in this panel. Yeah, and, and we have Doctor Ron Silver telling people, mm-hmm. "Go away, kids! You bother me." <laughs> oh, if you could have Doctor Ron Silver in every comic, that'd be <laughs> awesome. Ron Silver just makes things better. <laughs> Uh, we get the eventual meeting between... Is, is, is Kyle giving him the finger on the panel three? Hold on, wait. Back there. <laughs> he kind of is. <laughs> I did not notice that. He's got the... Yeah, he, he, it, it kind of looks like he's got his... <laughs> it's like, yeah, you can suck it, Ron Silver. You and your advice about crappy... <laughs> Artificial let John Claude Van Damme kill your kill you in another timeline. <laughs> oh, that, oh, let's not let's not besmirch Time Cop. That was a that was a movie. <laughs> that was a movie. Yes, with featured actors. <laughs> <laughs> well, except for John Claude Van Damme, he was just there as eye candy. Right. Moving on, we get the introduction on page fourteen of uh, Kyle's mom, and you know, to be honest. This is like everyone's mom. This is the sort of, you know, the, the especially moms that, you know, th- this is the uncomfortable meeting that you have with your estranged mom anytime. And this, uh, I, I remember coming home to my mom, like bringing my wife there. This was the kind of uncomfortableness that I would get. Except my mom wasn't that sort of hot redheaded MILF. But, well, there you go. Except for that one page where she's... She's doing her best divine. That one panel there, panel four. Oh, yeah? Oh. That's <laughs> true. Oh, my God, yes. That is that is pretty creepy. But uh, One more. We find out that, uh, of course, mom, a mom always knows, and that Kyle wasn't really that prepared or wasn't that able to keep his secret identity secret. And... I kind of like that fact. I kind of like the fact that his mom would actually know that he was Green Lantern, even though he didn't tell her. I think in reality, the idea of having a secret identity, except uh, especially it being a, a secret identity, like I wear a piece of glasses, I wear a pair of glasses and, you know, kind of slump and don't act all that, you know, impressive only works for Superman. For most people, secret identities wouldn't really work. Well, and I remember, like that... and I think I think Michael Valley will will uh, confirm. There was a time when they were trying to convince us that those glasses had were manufactured from the windscreen or the the star screen of the spaceship that he came in, mm-hmm. and as such, they had hypnotic properties. Okay. See, I remember something, and this was probably a Bronze Age trope that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was something about those glasses that made Clark look as, uh, make him look kind of Weasley and kind of scrawny 
So yeah, the, I think that plays into it, but it, it also doesn't make any sense why they would want someone like that as a broadcaster on a television news show. Right. So, but you know, whatever. I, I, I guess I just like the fact that secret identities aren't exactly secret, especially to parents. So there you go. Then we just really get into the kind of argument uh, between Kyle and his mom about him dealing with his dad and the problems with that. It's all a bunch of backstory uh, to bring people up to date with what's been going on in the Green Lantern book and to progress on the relationship between Kyle and his mother. But I really don't have all that much more to say about this, aside from the fact that, again, Donna is relegated to just sitting around and staring, especially if you get onto page 19, mm-hmm. those those middle two panels, where she's just, she's not even able to engage in there. She's just sitting there looking back and forth between these two people yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of upsetting that, I don't know if specifically Mars knew that Donna was going to be out of the book soon, or whether or not he was just playing her sort of, in the background for these uh, these issues, but it's upsetting. It, it maybe he thought that because I mean I, I will say as somebody who had a father who disappeared from uh, although he disappeared when I was eleven as opposed to uh, there were a couple of years where my mom was very 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 prickly about about the man. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this argument kind of rang true for me. Um, and I can almost see Donna saying, yeah, not really my, not really for, not really my uh, business to butt in. Yeah. You know, hi, orphan. Mm-hmm. Or she could have just punted one of them into the next county. <laughs> Isn't that always the best solution? <laughs> the best solution. <laughs> always is. I'm Wonder uh, Woman. I get to do that. Uh, then we get, uh, finally on the last couple of pages, uh, Hey, you okay? <laughs> You're right. Yeah, Donna, I, I, I'm glad Donna's here to be consoling to Kyle, but again, it's it it, it doesn't really show any depth of character, and right, it's just it's disappointing. Uh, the, I, I I'd like more out of someone who's actually formed a relationship with this person to be more than just put your arms around them yeah. and be consoling. I think there should, maybe it's just, they're trying to get uh, being, being Kyle's book. They're trying to get more exposition and more out of Kyle. So right. Donna is sort of relegated to, to the secondary, but uh, it, it but is it's what it weird is. considering how much Donna has contributed to previous issues. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why it's so weird that she's just like, that she's just, you okay? Yeah. You want a cookie? <laughs> uh-huh, I'd like a cookie. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you have anything? Especially one, of those, especially one of those, like, black and white cookies they make in the Italian bakeries. Ooh, those are delicious. Those are good. <laughs> do you have anything else on this, aside from the ridiculous machine? Oh, oh yes, the, the ridiculous, yes, the, the latest, and, you know, this, this character, of course, goes on to fight Kyle many many times over and no, what am I kidding? This is only appearance. <laughs> uh, he'll be back in the next issue, but uh, yeah, uh, this crappy man versus cliche. I mean machine. This crappy Ed two oh nine ripoff. Uh, just 
uh, it does nothing. But again, another one of Ron Mars's sort of failed attempts to bring a supervillain into the uh, Green Lantern book. But uh, which, you know, which is funny considering that, of course, he was successful the last time out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, fatality. Like yeah, fatality. As we pointed out, ha- continues to this day. She's the only one of Mars's creations. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, hair metal sonar. <laughs> you know, where is he now? Nowhere. Yeah, I think that's even, probably you'll notice even the machine messiah has some pretty honking great teeth. <laughs> oh dear God, yes. <laughs> Uh, like he's asking for cheese. <laughs> nice. Well, the you know, the, unless you've got anything else, this this is it for me for this book. Eh, can, can we look at the the letters page for a second? Yes, because uh, you know they, they they're talking about how uh, they're doing like kind of like a state of the of the book, and um, you know Kevin Dooley is saying his goodbyes, and I find it interesting that one of the things that he mentions is this really cool thing he's going to be doing called Chase. Okay. Which is, it only lasted nine issues, but it's a wicked great book. And it, it um, featured um, J.K. Williams' artwork, and he was in his stride finally. It okay. Was, this isn't like the Black Serpent. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. J, again, that, that surprises me that everyone praises J. Williams that, uh, that first couple of stories that he had in the Guy Gardner book were just painful to look at. But yeah, I haven't heard of this. I haven't heard of this series. Chase is the story of Cameron Chase, who works for the Department of Extra of Extra Normal Affairs. Um, sorry, Department of Extra Normal uh, Operations. Um, she is a normal human being who has to deal with superheroes on a regular basis, and she hates them. Um, we learn out. We learn that it's because her father, during the '70s, what they don't tell you, since you know the sliding DC's timeline brought us past the '70s, mm-hmm. so uh, the writer posited the idea that there was this brief flurry of superhero activity in the '70s, and uh, Chase's father was the Acrobat. Okay. Acro hyphen bat. He wore basically. The if you've ever seen the the costume that Thomas Wayne wore, mm-hmm. and he and his fellow members of the Justice Experience, <laughs> one of whom we later find out was a disguised Martian Manhunter. Wait, in, that's in, never happened before. Yeah, Martian Manhunter in a Justice League book that's yeah. in disguise. No. They they get slaughtered to a man when their their basically their Doctor Doom character Doctor Trap snaps, <laughs> and it traumatizes little baby Chase, and it's a great book. I highly highly recommend it. it it's it's a shame it only lasted nine issues nine issues. But it, now I hate to, I hate to be sort of chuckling about this, but the setup just sounds kind of out there. Is it meant to be? Uh... Is it meant to be taken seriously, or is there a bit of tongue in cheek oh, in the book? It's meant to be taken seriously. It's definitely seriously. Um, the whole point of the Justice Experience, I think it's issue seven is the Justice Experience issue. The whole idea of like, yeah, everybody, there was a fad for superheroes, and everybody decided they were going to be superheroes, and they were being, and that was goofy until, of course, like I said, the guy decides to kill them all. <laughs> and then it stops wow. being goofy and fun. Okay, well, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. Oh yeah, I recommend this. This is a chase. Great great series. 
check the back. And I think that Kyle is in an issue or two. Hmm. I'm not sure. I know that like there's one, there's like a two-parter where she's asked to um, be the handler for the Suicide Squad for a mission. Okay. That goes horribly wrong, but then it's the Suicide Squad. True. Uh, there is um, an issue where I think she crosses. You know, obviously there's a Batman issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as you the 90s. Have have, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, I think there's an issue I want to say that involves another kind of cool character who had his own book during that same time, Cronus, who is a con man who inherits the time, uh, the time travel gimmicks of the Adam villain, the Cronus. It's, that was a, it was a great period. This hmm. period that we're about to enter into as a whole for the DC universe was a great, cause they, I think like DC looked at image and said, okay, image is the, uh, the art, the artwork people. We're going to be the writer people. Mm-hmm. And they brought in all these great, John Francis Moore was the guy who wrote the Cronus book, but they brought in all these like really cool writers to do just whatever they wanted. And it just came up with some really great, none of the books took off. Yeah. But those short term, this one, I mean, Chase, Cronus, uh, Young Heroes in Love, mm-hmm. uh, all of these were just, they were just great, great, great books. Yeah. So, but, uh, I will, cool. I will have to go and see if I can track that down, see if that's set in my LCS somewhere. That sounds like an interesting read. More yeah. stuff to read. I'm looking for. And it's a short term one. It's, it's a short term one. It's only really eight, if you think about it, it's really eight issues plus. The ninth issue is a tie-in to DC One Million, which I think is coming up very soon. Yes, uh, yeah, we're we're getting to that, and, and that'll be interesting. Uh, cover some Morrison-y stuff. Mm. I mean, not like Morrison, Morrison, uh, not Morrissey like the singer. stuff. Yes, yes, we're gonna sit and talk <laughs> Every about how, day how Sunday. Uh, I'll have to put some. Hey, you know, he put out his autobiography recently, right? No. He put out his autobiography recently, and all I can imagine is it's just every page of, and then I was sad, <laughs> and then I was sad, and then I was sad. Uh, poor Morrissey. So, so upsetting. But, uh, yeah, that, that finishes this tale of Green Lantern, and Donna Troy relegated to secondary status, and we get to meet Kyle's mom, and creepy stupid robot <laughs> yeah really stupid robot <laughs> not looking forward to the next issue but uh yeah we'll cover we're not that talking about mst3 case uh, we're talking about sad <laughs> robot sad robots but uh since we're done with this uh we're gonna take a little break here uh play a couple of promos again and as soon as we get back from that we'll be taking a look at the uh, first issue of green lantern Corps quarterly with an amazing introduction of an amazing Green Lantern. Cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, 
and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the puppet master's next You athletes can't change the way I can. At least I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am a thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak. Blind or hope. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain him till it has been drained of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. ffcast.libsyn.com And we are back. This time out, we are going to take a look at uh, Green Lantern Quarterly number one. Now, Green Lantern Quarterly was a book that came out uh, right around the time that uh, it was just right before issue 25 of Green Lantern. So mm-hmm. it was before the uh, inevitable Guy and Hal fight for who was going to be the dominant Green Lantern Earth. But it was published every three months, obviously quarterly, right. uh, up until uh, the up until uh, Emerald Twilight, basically. Yeah, this but, uh, was the height of the um the, the speculator boom. Mm-hmm. So not just Mar- uh, DC but Marvel as well were experimenting with different formats, which is why we got the quarterly books. This was one of I think there were four in total that DC put out. I know they did this in Justice League. I don't think Man of Tomorrow with Superman was 
I, I think it came out maybe a little later. Well, yeah. Well, Man of Tomorrow was quarterly, but it was primarily to make sure that there was a, a Superman book out every week. It was basically for the the skip the weeks. fourth weeks. Yeah, the fourth, right. Yeah. Um, the fifth week. Sorry. There was also a Batman themed one. Gee, perish the thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think was called something like the Batman Chronicles yes. or the like such. Um. So yeah, so this was this is a format, and most of these were gone at the end of I want to say three to four years. Mm-hmm. They 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 were not around very long, and part of it was because, as we'll see when we go deeper into the, the quarterlies, they just became a drop a drop box for inventory stories. Pretty much, yeah. That's kind of. Uh, there are some stories in here that look like they could be original stories uh, written by uh, creators to just basically like the old backup uh, Green Lantern right. core tales in the uh, in the eighties version of the Green Lantern book. Mm-hmm. But yeah, some of them do have that sort of feel of stories that could have been published on their own but were broken up into little individual books and put in the Green Lantern quarter. Well, I think the intention always was that there was going to there was going to be an Alan Scott story in every issue. Mm-hmm. There was going to be a Nort story in every issue and a whatever happened to story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get to that. But we'll we'll go ahead and uh, start out uh, start out with this. It's Green Lantern Quarterly number one, like I said. It was cover dated summer of 1992 and released on April 21st of 1992. The cover price was 250 US, 295 Canada and a pound for UK. Uh, it was broken into parts. The first part was ki- titled The Book of Everything, which was written by Gerard Jones, penciled by M.D. Bright, inked by Scott Hanna, lettered by Albert Guzman, colored by Anthony Tolan and edited by Kevin Dooley. Streaking across the Owen sky and passing over those fucking yellow buildings. The Green Lantern Corps follows Hal Jordan to the place where the most sacred book known to Green Lanterns, the Bible, oh wait, no, sorry, the Book of Oa, is kept. Hal says that there is much to be learned from the book as he opens up and begins our first tale from this book. Mm-hmm. Now, this is pretty much standard for the time, M.D. Bright artwork here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just basically setting up the idea of the Book of Oa. And the Book of Oa had been discussed prior to this in the Green Lantern mythos. I or is think this it's the first, first mentioned in the Tales from Green Lantern Corps special in the okay. 80s. Because there's uh, the framing sequence for that, big shock, was, I think it was Hal showing Arisa mm-hmm. the Book of Oa. Yeah, I, I think I remember that, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's. I love the little comic panels, by the way, that apparently the Book of Oa has. <laughs> yeah, it's got middle pan. It's got the the big blobs of text in there, but then it's got yeah little inset panels with uh, comics uh, showing the different Green Lanterns doing things. So so, so apparently the Book of Oa is just a big wiki. <laughs> it makes sense. The Guardians would have fixed figured that out, yes. you know, decades before we would have. And, and like I said, M.D. Bright's artwork is nice. It's very stylized. It's very much of the time. And it was nice to get him on this book, at least for the opening bit. Uh, I've never cottoned to Bright's take on Guy Gardner, but all the rest of them look fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, of course, brings us into the uh, first story in the book, which was called Laying Down the Law. Yeah, it was, it was uh... <laughs> 
It was written by John Ostrander, penciled and inked by Flint Henry, lettered by Albert Guzman, colored by Matt Hollingsworth, and edited by Kevin Dooley. No, no, no. Edited by Kevin Dooley, the Dooley man, the Dooley meister. Kevin Rooney, D.D. Doolster, you know. Uh, was that Norm MacDonald? That wasn't Norm MacDonald. Who the hell did that? On I think it might have been Norm MacDonald. It might have been him. No, it was the guy from, oh, what's it? Uh, Ace, uh, Deuce Bigelow. Rob Schneider. Yes, the there we go. Rob Schneider. Okay. God, we can't remember our crappy Saturday Night Live icons. Oh, well. Up up the planet of Garnet, new fishy Green Lantern. <sighs> Pathvim Seth Otar. Pathvim Seth Odak. <laughs> yes. Leonard names, prepares to bring some justice to one of the more wretched hives of scum and villainy. However, he should have been cautious, because just as soon as he landed at Boss Eile, wait, no Garnet, he's gunned down by Trosk, a three-eyed crank from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles wannabe, who also realized that gold bullets might totally mess up a Green Lantern. As he lies dying, Seth wills his ring to find a suitable bearer to bring justice to this lawless hellhole. And it just so happens that the ring lands in front of blue space elf badass Jack T. Chance. Jack puts on the ring and gets the whole spiel about the core and protecting the sector and blah 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 blah. And with the ring's power and a less regimented suit, Jack goes to town to beating all the ass around the planet. Until, after a scuffle with Tross required Jack to cut him down, the Avatar wannabe, minus the sex ponytail, gets recalled to Oa for use of deadly force. The Guardians admonish Jack for his blasé attitude, and Jack tells them to suck it, and tosses the ring back. The Guardians then realize that they might need this kind of man to deal with the goings-on on Garnet, and they reluctantly allow Jack to remain the Green Lantern of this sector. The end. And that ends that first story. What? We're just going to go story by story and give our notes afterwards. I love this story. We should mention this is a very 90s story, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Jack is definitely a 90s character with the big guns and the trench coat and the very devil-may-care attitude. He's just a fun character, though. Although the funny thing is, is that, I mean, this, this story we've mentioned is written by John Ostrander, one, mm-hmm. one of the a really amazing comic writer um, who started out uh, at the Chicago, uh, in Chicago theater. Um, and... Jack T. Chance is almost the DC Universe version of Ostrander's first character that he created for first comics, uh, Grimjack. Oh, okay. I um, can kind of see the parallels. Yeah, and it's just, but yeah, no, this is, even though it is very 90s, this is really just an amazing little thing here. Mm-hmm. I will have to comment on this. I, I did do a lot of dissing of Flint Henry. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I covered the uh, Guy Gardner an- annual number one, I thought his artwork was very detailed, and there was a lot of uh, neat uh, curves and uh, lines to his drawing. But it was just so muddy and everything, I just couldn't get into it. There is a radical difference here, and I don't know whether it's the coloring or whether it's him inking himself here, but it just looks a heck of a lot better. And there's a lot of weird aliens, especially the Tross yeah. guy. Like I said, it looks like. He's doing, a, like I said, a Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja. Well, right. I guess he doesn't have the brain inside his chest, but he's got the sort of... an arm on top of his head. Yeah, I don't get that. But it's some neat design and some great artwork. 
I also like the space rabbi on page two. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> with Martian Manhunter straps on there. Yeah, too. That's cool. Yeah, I would, so- I would, I would pay to, I would read a book of space rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> Going around finding justice, circumcising people. That'd be right. nice. <laughs> Where did that come from? Ouch. <laughs> But yeah, Flint Henry does some good, weird-looking characters, and, and like every panel is just filled with just detail upon detail. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the nice thing, and kind of the detriment of Flint Henry is that he is putting so much detail, but his artwork isn't as cl- crisp and clean as like a Jimenez or a George mm-hmm. Perez. I mean, uh, it's it's decent, but it's it's very dramatic and 90s but it fits for this portion of the book yeah i mean it's got a very um very almost 60s underground feel to it mm-hmm. I've, I've likened a lot now I, i've likened likened it a lot to the sort of stuff that we'd see in the, like heavy metal magazine that kind right of book. so but yeah on uh page seven we get introduced to jack t chance in all of his red trench coat pouches i mean he's almost a prototype for yeah. the 90s aesthetic the, the mm-hmm. sort of 90s look the knee pads mm-hmm. the 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 vest the the boot yeah. and, and the bolo tie that's all and, and he and he's hanging out in front of eric von zipper's emporium there <laughs> you know which proves that frankie and annette went to space <laughs> nice <laughs> Of course, getting in the ring, he decides that yes, I. Although can't I want, I want to say something. Yes, I want to know what happened to the person who was in the boot in front of him on that panel. Oh my god, maybe he, maybe this was a, uh, maybe this was a hit that he had to do, and he just uh, yeah. blew them away. But yeah, there is a, a, a boot with viscera sticking out of it here. Craziness. He gets the ring. And of course, it brings up a standard Green Lantern costume, and Jack's not having any of that. So his idea to put a symbol on there is to basically put some flair on his jacket. <laughs> it's got to have a button. But uh, that pa- on page eight, the panel of Jack is he know he's as he as he finally figures out that he's going to be able to go out and kick some right. ass of him looking with his tongue sticking out, yes. looking at his lips. That is awesome. <laughs> He's just—he's just a consummate ass kicker. I like that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we get uh, the next page: him going out and kicking ass at a, at a space bar. With, uh, yeah. Just all the artwork on here—it's so much better, like I said, than the Guy Gardner annual. And uh, yeah. Flint Henry's aliens—they all look weird and distinct. And there's tentacles coming off of them, and just weird curves and lines. It's—it's it's nice to look at. It's so—it's so fun. Do you want to go ahead and give a, a another dramatic reading okay. of Jack's on here on page? This is oh, the this coolest. One? I'm sorry. This is just, I agree. Forget Hal Jordan. Forget Alan Scott. This is the coolest one of all. Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. Do it. You are wicked, evil, and mean. I'm the nastiest creep you've ever seen. Come on, come on. Put up a fight. I'll pound your butt with Green Lantern's light. Yowza. <laughs> Uh, see, I like the fact that there are different oaths that everyone can do, but I I enjoy Jack T. Chance's oath. That's just fun. And uh, up at the top of this page, you know why Jack is awesome? 
Yes. Smoke, smoking a cigarette. That's right. He's so cool. He's the one Green Lantern who can still rock the Marlboros. Yeah, and I love the fact he's decapitating a cyborg with a uh, well, he's eating a chicken leg. This is just like, this is so over the top. That's the that's the thing that's, that's so fun about this this thing. It's it's just, it's like those like early Lobo issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's... where there was no pretension to being for this to be a serious book at all. No, no, this is this is obviously just Ostrander and Flint Henry having fun with the character and making it because uh, if you look on the next page, he's basically. <laughs> you know, Using a crazy a, straw. Yeah, he routed a missile with a crazy straw to blow a hole through someone's chest. <laughs> and he's singing this the Rolling Stones all the while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. and then on the bottom panel, you know, you've got a shot of this person with a hole in their chest just <laughs> bleeding out with a almost evil dead level of guys. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, the, they're having fun with this. So yeah. It's it's nice, and then they're, they're they're totally just like going, okay, it's the '90s. Let's just see how far we can push this bad boy. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he meets up with a uh, Krang wannabe and mm-hmm. realizes that the Green Lantern, the the whole ring thing, won't work because oh, yellow bullets. Well, right, and of course Jack does what Jack does and takes him out by blowing blowing he blows his arm off his head arm <laughs> it's just so looking at this it's just so over the top violent fun but it's not the old ways just work the best <laughs> and it's not it's not it's gory but it's not gory in a disturbing way it's not uh-huh. like again i hark i always come back to the panel of the green lantern book where where black hand takes his own life and i thought that was over the top and unnecessary but this is just over the top and fun so because it's thoroughly because flint henry henry's artwork is thoroughly cartoony yes I and agree. as such it's it, this is playing out as just like a particularly macabre looney tunes i can see that yeah i can see this it's it does have that sort of air of not taking itself seriously it's it, it's fun stuff mm-hmm. but uh moving on we get Jack being recalled to Oa and basically telling the Guardians to go stuff it. (laughs) These are some funky looking Guardians. Yeah, I'm looking at here on this, uh, what is it, page 16? (laughs) It it looks like a... They look like the world's most pissed off Oompa Loompas. Exactly. They don't look like they have... They don't look like midgets. They've got a giant head. It looks like they've just got a giant head. And a torso. Yes. And they're stuck up on... It looks like a Mr. Potato Head guardian. <laughs> Weird. But, uh... Ah, this was fun. Yeah. You know, uh, they, they... And I like the fact he doesn't argue. He's like, they're going like, okay, we want you to... We're going to take your ring. Okay. Yep. Yeah, he's he's not tied to, you know... Uh, the thing is, he's... He's wanting to try and clean up this, uh... This planet or this sector. Which is obviously, you know... I don't know the it's the it's the Detroit of right. space basically it's the place where the most crime mm-hmm. is going on and no Green Lantern has really lasted there, but here we've got this one who doesn't play by the Green Lantern rules, but he gets things done. So the Guardians effectively have to let him remain Green Lantern in the sector because they realize that if not, 
they're just going to be sending wave after wave of people yeah. there to do it. So it's it's nice that the the Guardians at least submit to allow Jack to be the Green Lantern to the sector. Right. To quote the uh, Charles Nelson Riley uh, Guardian, well, he may be a bad man, but he will be our bad man. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> that is, that, yeah, the Guardians do look really funky in here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this was a, uh, this is a fun little story, and I would like to see more of Jack T. Chance. I'm hopefully, we'll get to see more of him in the in the quarterly book. I'm trying to remember, because I don't think he was intended to be a recurring character. I do know that he's in the last quarterly book. Yeah. Because, of course, you know, it's the 90s. Every book, even one that's about to be canceled, has to have an appearance by Lobo. Exactly. But, yeah, yeah we've got a couple more stories in here, and yeah. we'll go ahead and move on to the next one, which is entitled, And I Shall Shed My Light. And it was the Alan, Sto- Alan Scott story in the book. It was written by Roger Stern, uh, mm-hmm. pincered by Dusty Abel, inked by Steve Mitchell, lettered by Bob Lappin, colored by Anthony Tolan, and edited by Kevin Dooley. And Green Lantern is credited as being written by or being created by Bill Finger and Martin O'Dell. The story begins with Green Lantern Alan Scott rescuing an army jeep driven by some noob soldiers from careening off a newly exploded bridge. The soldiers tell Green Lantern that the explosion was probably caused by a group of neo-Nazis that they've been tracking, and Alan is brought back to his origin with a train crashing off a bridge, and Alan being the only one to survive. There he found the Green Lantern and became the red-shirted Purple Cape Crusader that we know today. He recounts his first exploit, where he learned of the ring's weakness to wood, and his eventual team-up with the other Golden Age heroes to form the Justice Society of America but Alan is brought out of his flashback stupor by the sound of gunshots. It appears that the neo-Nazi group is testing some other weapons by firing them out of the back of the military truck that they've stolen, and Green Lantern rounds them up and drops the truck on their headquarters, effectively breaking up the Nazi thugs. Crisis averted, we witness a news report speculating on the elder Green Lantern, as well as Molly Scott watching her husband recharge his ring and save the oath. Happy that Dan DiDio hadn't been made editor-in-chief yet, which would, of course, nullify their marriage and make Alan Scott gay. And because... Dan DiDio. Molly gives Alan a loving embrace, saying that she wouldn't mind sharing him with the world. Uh, this was a nice story, uh, yeah. basically a nice retelling of the Alan Scott uh, origin for people you know who might not have known it and it's nice that they uh in the uh, indicia credit uh bill finger and martin odell there so it's nice to uh, you know you you know batman was by bob kane and bill finger if you want to be specific but you know bob kane's the man and of course sequel and schuster did superman but you don't really get the origin story of green lantern that often so it's nice that they uh point the finger to finger Point the finger, Jesus, to finger and Nodell to give them some credit here. But it, I really don't have all that much to say. The yeah, art I mean, the, nice. the, this is what uh, Dusty Abel it was an artist who didn't do a lot of work. He never really did uh, a regular book for any length of time. He's one of these guys who was like painfully slow. But I mean, I really like his artwork. It's it's very nice. It's very clean. It, it's very expressive. Um, you know what's going on, unlike with some people. Yep. Like we'll talk about it in a couple of episodes, a couple of uh, stories time. Mm-hmm. 
um, some nice like choreography, and it's just it's it's a shame that he apparently was just not able to be fast enough to have a regular gig. Yeah. Although I think that he does a couple more of these um, Green Lantern, Alan Scott Green Lantern um, stories for oh. the quarterly. I don't know though if he gets as far as when uh, Alan Scott becomes Sentinel. Yeah. I think because if I recall the when he did become Sentinel the artwork took a turn to look and I hate to say this look more McFarland like. Mm-hmm. So it you know like like you said Abel does have an art style that is very classic. Yeah. It's very clean lines. In fact, uh most of these panels are six panel grids, uh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, you've got the sort of standard look for comic books. Um it's a decent story. The whole neo-Nazis thing, I guess that's that's the character or the the villain character of the time to sort of yeah. pick as your big bad. But it, it, the story the story of the neo-Nazis really has nothing to do with it except to give Alan a, a bad to go fight against. Mm-hmm. This is essentially a way to just retell his origin, but it's a, it's a good retelling of his origin. I, I didn't mind this so much. And uh, I like the fact that Dusty Abel draws Alan Scott to look like an older man. Mm-hmm. A, a credible older man. And, you know, Molly looks like a credible older woman, an, an attractive one, but still. Yeah, I, I think that was, that was one of the difficult things that DC at this time had to deal with, is that most of the heroes were powerful, younger characters, and... To draw, they, I don't know if they got artists who could actually, that maybe that was one of the reasons why they decided the de-age Alan Scott, the, mm-hmm. because they could make him look more muscly and more heroic, and they just didn't have uh, people who could get the aesthetics of a, a physically fit older person. But yeah. like I said, Abel does a good job of drawing both of them looking like you know people in their 60s or so. So, yeah. I, I like it, and I, 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 I agree. The whole thing with Dan DiDio not allowing marriages to go on in the current DC comic just irks me. I, I've gone on about this before. It doesn't make any sense to allow people to have relationships, to, to have long-term relationships in the DC comics. It's just, again, f*** you, Dan DiDio. <laughs> but... I'll have to bleep that out. But let's get on to the next story, which is uh, one of the Our stories. Our old that... friend Joe Staden. Yes, I'm looking forward to this. This one is called Neither a Lender Nor a Borrower B. Get it? It was written by Scott Lobdell, penciled by Joe Staten, inked by Robert Smith, not of The Cure. I checked that out. It would be fun if it that was. Would be, it, well, it'd be a far more depressing story, and there'd be <laughs> a bunch of spiky hair and leather. Um,. It was lettered by Bob Lappin, colored by Anthony Tolan, and edited again by Kevin Dooley. After being made an official Green Lantern by the Guardians, Nort is trying to find his way back to Earth. Using the ring literally to slingshot him back, Nort recounts his adventures until he realizes that he's entering the atmosphere way too fast. Luckily, he slows down enough to keep from becoming a puppy pancake, but finds that his belongings have been thrown out of the JLI embassy, and upon mishearing a scene from Old Yeller, dejectedly strolls away. Walking through the alley, he encounters a homeless female sax player, who he offers up the food from his discarded dog bowl. Mm -hmm. 
But as the two are making small talk, they're beset upon by three goons armed in proto Guygarder slash Blue Beetle mech armor, who they think would make a great addition to the JLI. After threatening Saks Girl, that's Nort's name for his female sidekick, the Emerald Canine tries to beat down the trio, but fails due to their armor, of course, being yellow. But Saks Girl comes to the rescue by having Nort ring up a horn to amplify her saxophone, which she uses to blast the baddies with a ballistic B flat. Crisis averted and Nort now hard of hearing, the duo walk off to find adventure and excitement. Now, I don't care what anyone else says. I love the character of Norton. I especially love him when he's being drawn by Joe Staten. He looks great here. And I don't know what you think about Scott Lobdell. At the time, he was big in the X books. Yeah. And he was a big X writer. And now currently, he I don't know if he's still over in DC writing the Red Hood and the Outlaw books, which uh, a lot of people have claim to be pretty misogynistic especially with their dealings with starfire but i enjoy what he's doing here i think it's a fun story and i think lobdell's humor works here but i don't know what are your opinions about scott lobdell um, he, I, lobdell i think he they, they, when he's he's the girl with the curl when he's good he's very very good when he's bad he's a f-ing, uh, person in a pirate outfit yelling at you but nice. um <laughs> But, um, I mean, his biggest problem is, I, I, I've always thought that his biggest problem was not thinking things through. Mm-hmm. Um, to give you an example, um, the Onslaught mess over at Marvel. Oh, yes. Which I think was happening at, no, no, it happens about three or four years from that. Yeah, from it's, a, it's where, a little after this, yeah. Yeah. Um, started just because Scott Lobdell thought it would that the X-Men hadn't had a... A cosmic level supervillain threat in a long time. Wouldn't it be cool to have one? And he started writing this character of Onslaught into the book without conceiving of what that character was. So, I mean, he's... He, I mean, he did Generation X, which is a book I really enjoyed. But, uh, you know, so like I said, when he's good, he's great. And when he's not, he's, you know, like I yeah. said. Um, and uh, this is, you know, this is... I mean, it's a little trifle. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's setting up what I guess is going to be the status quo for the future Nord Adventures, how many more there are in uh, Justice League Quarterly. Uh, it's interesting how it seems like it apes, at least partially, the guy, the, the classic Guy Gardner pre-Warrior stuff. Mm-hmm. With Sax Girl uh, filling in for Guy's uh, sidekick at the time. Yes. Um. But you know, like I said, it's it's it, there's not. I mean, the trio of greatness is a throw is an intentionally throwaway character just to, to give us an action sequence. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I know, I don't know whether they'll uh, address it anymore because I haven't uh, reread through the reread through the uh, Green Lantern quarterly. But Sax Girl being a homeless person, I don't know whether they'll yeah. address anymore uh, about the plight of the homeless. But uh, the fact that she she's so hungry that she decides to eat Nort's dog food bowl. Ugh. Yeah. But yeah, that's I guess that's not uncommon, you know, uh, the homeless in New York City just looking for food anywhere they could. But yeah, that's not part of the story. It's I, I find that 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 statement though weird about it. I'm just another sax player trying to make it big in New York City. Okay. Uh. But you're apparently you... the only one hanging out in an alleyway eating dog food, so uh, <laughs> you got that. Uh, again, Staten's art is I think it's really strong here. 
uh, the of course the armor being almost the shitty blue beetle armor here again annoys me because the blue beetle armor annoys me or the, I guess it's the booster gold armor that blue beetle came up with but you know Nort is a fun character and it's nice that he has at least little backup stories in this because on occasion you know a little 10 to 15 page story dealing with Nort especially when it's kind of well written is always amusing to have mm-hmm. Uh, if you're ready, we'll go ahead and... Uh... Do we have to? Yes, we do, because it's part of the book, so we'll, we'll rip it off like a bandage here. The next story was called Whatever Happened To, which is going to be a running running story in the Green Lantern Corley books. This one is Whatever Happened To Aresia. It was plotted by Gerard Jones, with dialogue by Will Jacobs, penciled by Tim Hamilton, inked by Gary Yap, lettered by Albert Guzman, colored by Anthony Tolan, and again edited by Kevin Dooley. The story begins with super hot, underage, orange-skinned former Green Lantern Aresia leaping out of the Green Green Lantern Corps headquarters and getting conked on the head by a rock. Waking up, she recounts her tale as a former Green Lantern who subconsciously aged herself to get some of that sweet, sweet Hal Jordan booty, but ended up losing her way and becoming a slutty magazine model. All of this was being told while she was driving a car, and since Aresia is obviously a woman, she crashes her car into a tree and gets taken to a hospital. There she meets with sleazy promoter, who she walks out on, proclaiming that she's only 13 and asking for a boyfriend, Hal. Uh, You know, I really don't have much to say about this part of the book. Uh, It essentially is telling whatever happened to Aresia and... Yeah, it just brings up and the whole what creepiness. Exactly, of it. was the point of this whole story? Yeah, it really didn't it's, didn't give it, me much of anything aside yeah. from you know recap what happened to Aresia, aging herself so she could make out with Hal Jordan and oh god, on page forty-five, that shot of Aresia in perhaps the tiniest bikini, bikini ever. Yes. I mean, it's. It's just disturbing, and you know the fact Tim that it. Hamilton. Inch- oh my God, man! I mean, this artwork is a mess. Yeah, it's not. It's not the best. I think Hamilton did. I can't remember if it was on a, a fill-in issue of Green Lantern, but I know he's worked with Gerard Jones, and I think the mm-hmm. Gerard Jones run in. Uh, Green Lantern, but yeah, it's yeah. He's not. also did some work with uh, Jones in um, when in his Independent days. Oh yeah, as did Will Jacobs. Will mm-hmm. Jacobs and uh, Gerard Jones created. They, they first came into prominence with a, an independent book called The Trouble with Girls, which I highly recommend. Yes, yes a lot I of you talking about that. Yeah, um, and I know that they've also gone on to do. They wrote a couple of books together. Uh, one being that one that you recommended about uh, the uh, history of superheroes, I believe. Yeah. Something like that. So, uh, yeah, they, they obviously have a relationship together, and uh, but the story is pretty pedestrian. It's just... It's, it's messed up, because it's like they want to do an, uh, an amnesia angle with her, but they don't really... Yeah, because at the end, she remembers everything. She remembers who she is. It's not... Mm-hmm. And the creepy promoter at the end. What is that all about? And I get the definite impression that even Jones and Jacobs didn't have an ending for the story, which is why we come back to the 
um, the framing sequence suddenly. Mm-hmm. With uh, yeah, with the lanterns going, you know, well, what happened about it, and how can we look? I'm gonna go find out about her, and then just moving on to the next story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, not much to say here, but other than why, I guess they just had you know five pages or so to fill, and they said Gerard, whip up something about Aresia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, the uh, um. You know, the Whatever Happened To was a well-remembered backup strip for DC Comics Presents in the 70s. Okay. So I think that the intention was to go back and look in on all the, all these former Green Lanterns that were still, that were still alive after, you know, um, the, after Crisis and see what they were doing. But, oh my god, this was, this was a big misstep. Mm-hmm. I will have to agree with you as well. Well, let's go ahead and continue tearing the bandage off, and we'll finish up with this final story. Uh, it was untitled, uh, but it was written by Doug, M- Doug Mensch, mm-hmm. uh, penciled by uh, Paul Galassi, inked by John Beatty, lettered by Albert Guzman, colored by Steve Matson, and edited again by Kevin Dooley. On a war-ravaged world, a female alien named Shalandra witnesses a green streak flash across the embattled sky. Hoping that the otherworldly beings might be able to bring peace to her world, she bravely traverses across the battlefields to try and find any survivors. When she comes across the area where the street crashed, she witnesses a dying Green Lantern, who offers up his ring to her. Shalandra takes the ring and speeds back to the front of the battle to try and stop the two warring factions. Placing a wall between the combatants, Shalandra tells both sides they need to stop this madness as there are greater things than themselves. There's an entire universe for them to explore and discover, and they spend their lives fighting endless battles amongst themselves. The two factions acknowledge that she might be right, but it's too late, as both sides have unleashed the entirety of their missiles, effectively destroying the entire planet. With a sorrowful heart, the last survivor of her race flies off as a Green Lantern. And wow, what a grim way to end... (laughs) You know, this, this is a mess. Started out with a kind of fun story. Yeah. yeah. This this is just a mess, and it's even more remarkable that it's a mess because it's Doug mentioned Paul Galassi, mm-hmm. who uh, had a long, and I mean a long and very fruitful uh, relationship going back to the seventies, doing uh, a classic run of Master of Kung Fu. And right now, at this time, aren't they predominantly tied to the Bat books, or would that be coming up? Um, Mensch was already involved with the Bat books. Glacy, Glacy is another one of these artists who's um, considered to be very slow. Mm-hmm. So um, at this point, he was just taking on special um, special projects. I think at this time he was doing the James Bond original uh, miniseries okay. that were coming out from Dark Horse at the time. They, I think they did two or three of them. Interesting. You know, and because the whole thing about the Master Kung Fu run was that it was Mensch and Glacey turned the book into a giant uh, James Bond Manx. It even had a um, character called Clive Reston who was meant to be uh, Sean Connery. Interesting. Um, you know, that was a natural fit for Glacey. But this this is a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, artwork-wise, it's it's not... All that good. Story-wise, it's your typical 
Cold War polemic about the proliferation of weapons and the if if both sides could just get together and work together, we could accomplish wonderful things that ends in the whole mutually assured destruction scenario. So part of the, the problem, I think, with the artwork is that um, Glacey is known for his, you know, his human figures. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's known for casting real life actors as the various characters. OK. And this was kind of unique back in the 70s as opposed to now where, you know, Gary Franks will just throw in Christopher Reeve yeah. at, at the slightest suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, this story, there are no human characters. No. And I think that may be to the detriment of because I'm looking yeah. at uh, page 51 with the, uh, especially the face of in that uh, on that bottom panel in the middle. Yeah. She looks just all kinds of wonky. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we get no real sense of what her of what the, the, these aliens' body type is because it changes literally. It seems mm-hmm. from page to page. Yeah, it does. Looking at it, yeah, it is. It's kind of a mess because it could have been an effective story, but it also seems. I, I guess the whole Cold War thing seems kind of out of place because when this was coming out, this is ninety two. The the Essentially, the Berlin Wall had come down. Right. Uh, we're having at least decent relationships with the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Bill Clinton was in the office. So the whole Cold War had kind of run its course. So I I think this, this might just have been – I don't know if Mensch was just given a, a sort of archive story to write or mm-hmm. an archive idea. But it, it just – it doesn't seem to fit in – with the times for me. So. Right. I mean, it definitely smacks of a Tales of the Green Lantern Corps backup. Yes, it does. It does kind of have that feel. And I think this would have worked a lot better if it had been published, you know, in the in the Green Lantern Corps, in the Inglehart run, where I think it would have been a more effective tale. But, yeah, it just feels out of place again. And, yeah, looking at the art, especially page 55 with the the splash page of her doing the Green Lantern thing. It just, the artwork is all kind of wonky in it. Yeah, I don't know what they're trying to get with that special, like, coloring effect, but it doesn't work. No, no, it doesn't. But uh, that leads us into the uh, the, the ending, the end cap of the story, which uh, is, again, penciled by uh, Bright and Tangal, and we get uh, Hal threatening Guy. And, uh, every- I love the fact that this page is basically a buy our other Green Lantern books. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Hey, you know what? I'm going back to the Mosaic world. World. <laughs> and I've got I've got to train these greenies. Ooh. <laughs> uh, and then we have to get back to the sad, sad issue 25 where yeah. the unjust dismissal of Guy Gardner from the Green Lantern Corps. Mm-hmm. And of course, the top of the um, the top of this last page, there was a website uh, which was basically it was a massive Green Lantern site. Mm-hmm. I think it was called the Book of Oa. Yes. And this panel was like the end cap of every entry in the Book of Oa. It was like you know you go there and they had entries in all these different characters and stories and everything and reviews and all just like it was a massive sprawling site it hasn't been updated in years but i yeah. think it still might be around mm-hmm. i've checked it i've checked it out before it's it's a sort of proto wikia yeah but 
You can kind of see why these things don't with these quarterlies don't hang around, can't you? Yeah, there there was like I said, the Jack T. Chance story was good, the Nord story was fun, but then yeah. afterwards it just feels like they're and, kind and of you know the what McCullough was okay. The Alan Scott Green Lantern story. Yeah, that, was okay. yeah, it, it, it was it was a nice origin tale, and it'd be interesting to see how they go on with it because I think at this time the the JSA was back, but they didn't have the I don't think they were doing the book that was uh, being written by Joe. Was it by Joe? Yeah, Gerard with um, Mike Paraback on it. Mike Paraback, yeah. They, they had no, that, that short comes run. right after Zero Hour. Oh, okay. So this, so you know, the JSA and all these characters were sort yeah. of just in limbo without any actual story. So it's nice However, that I want to say that the eight page, the eight page, the eight issue miniseries. Which had been done. It's an imperial. It's an imperial series. Takes place in the 1950, I think. Mm-hmm. That was done to give a bunch of the the artists who they had ha- signed on to do the Impact Comics line. Oh yeah. Uh, was going on around this time. So the JSA was still was like a thing that was kind of in the comic consciousness at that at that moment. Okay. So. Yeah, but not the greatest start to the Green Lantern Corps. There were some good stories in here, but I'm certain as we go on with this, there will you know we'll probably get the around the fifty percent mark. That's half the stories will be really good, and half the stories will be like one-offs that just had to be there to fill pages. So. Look, if you just gave me fifty-six pages of Jack T. Chan's, <laughs> wouldn't I'd all be happy. happy? Yes, <laughs> I would be happy. Just have him give. Come in randomly and beat somebody up and leave. You know, I would have to agree with you. That'd be some fun stuff. Yeah, unfortunately, sadly, the character, the character, you know, runs the span of the, you know, off and on of, of this book, uh, gets killed off rather ignobiously in Emerald Twilight and mm-hmm. comes back. I, I don't think is mentioned again, kind of like uh, the character of, of Priest in uh, the the action comics we go or, or Movolio. Yeah. The character no DC editor wants you to mention ever again. Or um it's just forgotten except for when they needed some you know black lanterns. Uh, yeah. Well, credit to Jeff Johns at least he kind of tries to bring them back even though it's in that story. But yeah, these were two not great issues, but these were two issues. You know, these I can't. Were a thing. <laughs> these were a thing. Uh, Thomas, I am glad to have you on the show again. It's great having you on. It's great getting to talk with you. It's um, always a pleasure, Sean. You know. uh, I'm going to allow you to tell people what you're doing uh, on the internet. Uh, please let us know. Not getting yelled at by, by the world's hottest pirate. <laughs> we're That's, not telling you about that. We're guys. not talking about that. No, but go ahead. Well, and let us bet know. a lot of people want to see this, though. <laughs> well, maybe maybe we'll have a, a discussion about that later. <laughs> Round table. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Our outtake role will be a discussion about how the world's hottest pirate is yelling at you. But go ahead and uh, aside from that little thing going on, tell us. What uh, you're I think doing like the biggest the thing band. right now that's going on is still so on sale. New roads to hell. I have if I haven't told I don't think I've told you this actually, uh, you know, vocalized it to you. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the book. It was a great 
it was a great beginning Thank to it. Uh, I'm, I've heard that it's, uh, getting up there in Amazon sales. Yeah. It's boosting up there. And you've gotten a few more reviews for it. Uh, if you can't, if you haven't picked it up, it's available at Amazon. It's available at Airship 27. You can pick up the actual physical copy or you can pick up a Kindle copy, which is what I got. And I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And there is more, uh, Shadow Leeching goodness coming up in, uh, um, Mystery Men and Women Volume 4, which should be forthcoming in the, you know, soon. I don't know when the exact release date will be. Cause there's a brand new ferryman story in there. Oh, neat. So, uh, but yeah, so guys, you know, buy the, there's always room for one more on the Nocturne Express there. So, uh, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, um, there's Damn Your Ears, Damn Your Eyes. The, I've been trying to do a lot of horror films for October. I just, uh, just recently, as of posting this, you did the two 28 Days movie, the 28 right. Days Later and 28 Weeks Later, one of which uh, you were very highly praising and one of which you <laughs> didn't like so much. And, one of um, which justifiably made me a sad so. monkey. So, justifiably so. <laughs> featuring One of them featuring the most unfortunately named actress in the history of Hollywood. Oh, God, yes. Imogen Poots. <laughs> When your names, when your last name sounds like a, a delicate fart, yes, <laughs> you kind of want to question why your family line exists, and you wonder why her agent never said, "Darling, we have to change the last name." <laughs> Sadly, no. Well, it, it's an, I guess it's a but name that'll catch your attention. The thing not. that's great about the twenty-eight, the, the twenty-eight films is that you look at the two of them and there are a slew of people who become famous in geek culture three or mm-hmm. four years later. Oh, yeah. I, I did not know that in the second one you have uh, Jeremy Renner, Idris Elba, and who else was in that? that uh, Rose that? Burns, Moira yes. McTaggart. So Moira McTaggart and Hawkeye ignore Heimdall's orders and manage to infect an entire continent. <laughs> there you go, geeks. Play with that. <laughs> You know, and the first one, the Scarecrow and Miss Moneypenny go to visit the, ni- the, the Ninth Doctor. Oh, my God. <laughs> so. It, it's like, it's fan, you know, I'm certain Hope Polinax, if she listened to this show, would take that and write a wonderful little fanfic. And, and I'm curious to know, because there was supposed to be a third film that got, you know, squashed because the second film did so poorly. Mm-hmm. That was called. 28 months later. Hmm. Which I just want to know what that was going to be about. But you, you know, if if Danny Boyle wasn't helming it, I wouldn't have been too interested. Yeah. That's that's the problem. Yeah, it's like Danny Boyle and Alex Garland had a very a very specific things they wanted to say. And the funny thing is, uh, 28 Days Later was made before 9/11, even though there's a lot of 9/11 kind of parallels in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah. Ten, you know, ten statements plus. Uh, probably by the time you hear this, the obscure horror movies episode will be up. Yay! dot uh, com. We do. It's an all seventies episode. Oh, that'll be fun. And amongst the things we discuss are, um, for some reason, I, I scream out "fuck Ohio" a couple of times. <laughs> um, we. Get into an argument over Robert Blake and Electric Light in Blue. 
and talk about the new Fox reality series, Satanic Orgy House. <laughs> I can't wait to see that one. They, you know, they should pair that up with Sleepy Hollow. It'll be great. <laughs> oh, oh, my Lord. That show. I, I saw one episode. I said, I'm done. Uh, that's kind of the way I'm feeling about the S.H.I.E.L.D. show. I'm just, uh, I'm hit and miss with it right now. But, uh, well, Look, this I don't want to see, for... you know what I want to see in the S.H.I.E.L.D. show? Agent uh, Coulson and Melinda May, because Ming-Na Wen, yummy. Mm-hmm. Just, just, just like with Jack T. Chance, just knocking on the random door, beating somebody up, and leaving. That's all <laughs> I want. I that... don't want, I don't want faux Elijah Dushku. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't want, you know, the, the, the jabbering British twins. Mm-hmm. And I don't want, you know, the, the slab of white bread. Yeah, the generic action guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, give me Coulson and Ming-Na Wen. She's the, 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 just have them go and beat some ass. Or, or here's an idea. Have the, cause we know that, that she's like the cavalry, which is like this great, you know, girls night out, the cavalry and the black widow. Oh. Oh God, yes. Oh God, give me that. Yes, give me that. I want to see that for an entirely different reason entirely. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> oh, but Thomas, it has been great having you on the show. It's uh, always a pleasure. I and I have a weird feeling because I hear I, I feel this disturbance in the ether. Something about Ronda Rousey and uh, <laughs> Superboy breaking up. Oh no. Say it isn't so. Say it is not so. <laughs> you didn't even know Ronda Rousey and Superboy were going out, did you guys? No, we did. <laughs> but that does it for this episode of the show. Again, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for downloading. Make sure that you come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a member of the Two True Freaks family of podcasts. Bye, everyone. Yeah, was, uh... <laughs> You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. Hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingram. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the tendencies of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcome. All spam bots are warmly welcome, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast or search for Two True Freaks, the new rule two. And you can subscribe to either the show or Two True Freaks there. You can also search me on Facebook. And now you can actually find me there, as it was a requirement of my new DeMontecourt contract. But it still doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Lafayette Awards group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys. A Greenlander podcast. The opening music for today's show was To Live and Die in L.A. from Wang Chun, off their album for the original motion picture soundtrack, To Live and Die in L.A. 
Now, this was a great film that came out in the 80s. I believe it was actually directed by William Friedkin, the man who brought us the Exorcist movie. So it's a great movie. It's got a sort of Michael Mann feel. It uh, stars a very young William Peterson pre-CSI days. It's a great movie to watch. And if you would like to watch it or if you'd like to own it, the best place to go to get it would be Amazon.com. And the best way to get to Amazon.com would be to go through the link at 2TrueFreaks.com. When you go to the webpage at 2TrueFreaks.com, there's a banner in the upper left corner. Click on that and you'll be transported to Amazon.com where you can buy either the song to live and die in L.A. or the Blu-ray or DVD copy of it. You can also buy any Blu-ray or DVD you want. There's myriads of specials on there. There's uh, tablets, Kindle Fires, the new Kindle Fire HDX. There's just tons of stuff on Amazon. It's all at great prices, and every time you go through the link at 2TrueFreaks.com, a small amount of your money that goes into your purchase from Amazon comes back to the 2 True Freaks website. It doesn't cost you a single cent extra, but it really helps us out. So anytime you feel like shopping online, make sure you shop at Amazon.com, and make sure you use the link at 2TrueFreaks.com.